You can open your Bibles or navigate on your device to Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to start a series on fantastic feasts and where we find them. We're going to talk about the feasts of the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. In it, we find everything we need for life and godliness. But in, in that, Lord, we really, really need, we require the ministry of your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. He promised that he would be. And so I pray, Lord, tonight and every time that we break open the word that you would be here in a powerful way to teach us, to lead us, and to guide us into your truth. And to take those truths, Lord, that are timeless and uh, bring them into our personal experience of the Christian life, each and every one of us, where we're at right now. And I pray, Lord, that even topics that we can't even begin to fathom how they would touch our lives would, in fact, touch them in a very powerful way. And so guide and direct us, Lord, tonight and every night until we see your face. We ask it in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, amen. Every day of the year has some designation. For example, today, Wednesday, November 1st, is what? Zoe's birthday, that's not what I had in mind. Well, you, I heard one person say All Saints Day, and that is correct, but since 1994, it also happens to be World Vegan Day. Who knew? Oh, I, it's just a coincidence. It's an absolute coincidence. So go ahead, Google it right now if you'd like to see if I'm lying, but every day has, some days are several designations. Some people will say, oh, today is National Black Cat Day. No, it's not. It's National Decaffeinated Tea Day. And it just depends on what state or what municipality or what country they're in. But uh, so All Saints Day or World Vegan Day. Some calendar days are obviously a lot more significant to us than others, such as Thanksgiving and Christmas, New Year's. God gave Israel a calendar to follow. Their calendar is based on the phases of the moon. It's a lunar calendar. Each month in a lunar calendar begins with a new moon. Certain days on the lunar calendar were designated as feast days. There are seven of them, starting with the first full moon of spring. The first three feasts fall in what would be our March and April. The fourth one marked the summer harvest and occurs in our late May or early June. And even though it's more towards summer, it's usually included with the spring feasts. The last three feasts on the calendar happen in our September and October. The four spring feasts are Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and weeks, or what we call Pentecost. The three fall feasts are trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. The seven Jewish feasts are found in Leviticus 23. Uh, look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation, these are my feasts. Now, the Hebrew word for feast is moedim. It means an appointment. These appointments commemorate certain historic events in the nation of Israel, but there's something much deeper, too. They communicated and they still communicate, in some cases, future events. 
And so the calendar turns out to be a prophetic calendar. Uh, it was God showing his plan of redemption of the human race uh, through these various feasts. And by the way, just because they're called feasts, they don't all involve potlucks or eating. Uh, there's many of them and were fast. And so it's, it, it's a really a, a word for festival or convocation or assembly. Uh, they were appointments with God. And they communicated. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, communicated and still communicate the first coming of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world in his work of redeeming the human race. Pentecost communicates the body of Jesus Christ being formed. The three fall feasts communicate the future, especially the second coming of Jesus, the millennial kingdom on the earth. One commentator said, and I quote, the feasts which God gave to the nation of Israel are incredible in their truth about Jesus and for their prophetic revelation concerning God's plan to redeem and retake this planet. Now, we're going to see as we go through that Jesus, in his first coming, fulfilled exactly the first four spring feasts. Now, I don't mean just that he fulfilled them in the symbolism. They were kept on the very day of the feast. We believe that in his second coming, he will fulfill the remaining three fall feasts. And so that makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus fulfilled to the very day in consecutive order the four feasts and then uh, three still remain, he will fulfill those as well. Now, we're going to look briefly tonight at all of the feasts and by briefly just a quick overview of what they are, and then in subsequent weeks, we'll look at each one uh, in depth more individually. The first one, as I said, was Passover. Uh, look at Leviticus 23, 4 and 5. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times, on the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Now, you remember that Passover was when the death angel passed over every home that had the blood of a lamb on its doorpost in Egypt. The innocent lamb died in place of the firstborn, and the Jews were delivered from their nearly 400 years of bondage in Egypt. The lamb prefigured Jesus who would shed his blood on the cross to die in our place that we might be delivered from sin. Jesus died on the cross just at the time the Passover lambs were being sacrificed in the temple. And so the crucifixion of Jesus took place while the priests in the temple were sacrificing the lambs for the Passover. He truly was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so every other lamb leading up to that, all the thousands upon thousands, tens or maybe hundreds of thousands of lambs that have been killed over the years at the temple, tabernacle and later the temple, to celebrate Passover, all of them prefigured and pointed to Jesus Christ. And that's why John the Baptist could say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And a Jewish person would find that rich in meaning. Uh, because they would know that he, they sacrifice lambs often, but especially annually on the Passover. And indeed, when we get into the Passover, we'll see how Paul the Apostle talks about Jesus, our Passover. The next feast on the calendar, unleavened bread, verse 6. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation and you shall do no customary work on it. 
But you shall offer an animal, an, an offering, excuse me, made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days after the Passover, the Jews ate only unleavened bread, and they cleansed all the yeast from their homes. Leaven depicts sin in the Bible because it's an agent that puffs up and uh, contaminates. Jesus lived a sinless life. He lived the unleavened life, the only one who was able to do so as the God-man. He's described in the Bible as the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem, which in Hebrew means house of bread. His time in the tomb after his crucifixion fulfilled the festival or the feast of unleavened bread. Next on the calendar, first fruits. Verse 9, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. You shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. The day after the Sabbath that followed Passover, which would always be a Sunday, is when first fruits was celebrated. It was a harvest celebration. It was a token. You would bring a token or the first of the greater harvest of fruit to come. And, and so um, it's like that first tomato that you get, you know, on your vine. You think, man, there's this, this thing's beautiful. I can't wait till the rest of the tomatoes come in. And, of course, neither can the tomato worms and stuff. But so first fruits, bringing in the first of the uh, crop, anticipating a greater harvest. Jesus rose from the dead on the day first fruits was being celebrated in Jerusalem. His resurrection from the dead on that first day of the week, on Sunday, was the token of the greater harvest of souls to be raised after him. Jesus is called the first fruits of those who raise from the dead. He, and so he is the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. Now, he... He uh, brought people back to life, uh, but he was the first of those to rise from the dead to never die again. And we are in that line. When you become a Christian, Jesus is your first fruits, and he is the guarantee of our resurrection. And so he fulfilled that feast. Next came the Feast of Pentecost, verse 15. You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull, two rams, they shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. 
The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. it shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. Pentecost, also called the Feast of Weeks, because it was celebrated seven weeks after first fruits. The word Pentecost means 50th because it was the day after the 49th day. It was the 50th day. In Acts chapter 2, this feast had its fulfillment as the church was born. The two loaves represent Jews and Gentiles being brought together into one body during this age, the church. And there is leaven in those loaves, you might have noticed, because there is sin until the Lord completes His work in us. And so Pentecost uh, prefigures, it typifies, it points to, it reminds us of, it's historical of the day that the Holy Spirit was sent as the promise of the Father upon the 120 disciples, and um, it came in full on that day. Uh, now, there's a long interval between the spring and the fall feasts. That, too, is significant. It communicates that the Holy Spirit is gathering out the church while Israel is scattered among the nations. That brings us to the final three feasts. They were all celebrated in the seventh calendar month, roughly our September. Feast of Trumpets was the first of the September feasts, verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It was the first day of the seventh month, and it ushered in a new civil year. It's also called Rosh Hashanah, meaning the head of the year. It was a spiritual time for prayer and the confession of sin. When we get to it, we'll see that the Feast of Trumpets, very little is actually known about its celebration. There's no, as far as I can tell, there's no recorded celebration of the Feast of Trumpets in the Bible anywhere. Nowhere where they're actually celebrating it and telling you how it went. They did celebrate it, but we just don't know how. It was a spiritual time for prayer and the confession of sin. We know that. And it's the only one that occurs on the first day of the month. The rest of the uh, feasts occur after the first day of the month, after uh, the uh, new moon has been spotted. This one happens on the new moon. That means nobody knew for sure the exact date. It had to be announced by two witnesses. And so you were supposed to keep the Feast of Trumpets on the first day of the month, but because you're on a lunar calendar, you're waiting for the phases of the moon, you had to actually see that the moon was full. And in order to do that, the, the Jewish officials appointed witnesses who would verify that there was a new moon, and then they would declare, today is the feast. Of that day or hour, no man knows seems to be an expression referring to this phenomena. If you do some research, uh, as far as I can tell, it's accurate that this was a phrase or an idiom that surrounded the celebration of this feast because no one actually knew exactly when it was going to take place. I mean, I could have woke up this morning and knew that it was going to be National Vegan Day or World Vegan Day, I should say. But um, in their time, they, they did things differently according to the lunar calendar. And this is, as we'll see, this is going to be one reason I think that 
the Feast of Trumpets is associated with the second coming of Jesus. If you do any prophecy studies or uh, anything like that, and I've probably even said it myself over the years, a lot of people try and tie in the Feast of Trumpets with the rapture of the church because of the word trumpet, mostly because the trumpet will sound. Of course, trumpets are sounding all over the Bible. It seems to be the favorite instrument of the Bible. Herb Albert would love the Bible. But uh, anyway, um, it, 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 uh, so a lot of people say it's going to be on the Feast of Trumpets when the church is raptured. Uh, but when we get there and look at the Feast of Trumpets, I'm going to show you that uh, the idea of the trumpet is, is really very slight. In fact, some of the places where it says the Feast of Trumpets, trumpets is in italics in your Bible, meaning it was added to give a, an understanding of what might be going on during that feast. Uh, the word that is used of, uh, you know, is really just of shouting or making a loud noise. It doesn't necessarily mean that the trumpet. Uh, and plus, you get into trouble, those of us who believe that the rapture of the church is always an imminent event, it can't be imminent and on the Feast of Trumpets. Now, it could happen on a Feast of Trumpets. That could be a, a day that we don't know about. But uh, we also believe that the rapture could happen right now. And so if it could happen right now, then it can't also happen on the Feast of Trumpets. So we'll, we'll get into all of that. But that's one that just passed. Some of you have been online. You've seen all the millions of websites that are predicted that this year the church would be raptured on or around the Feast of Trumpets. And some of those guys are still predicting as we get into November, you know, uh, on their calendar that we're going to be raptured. And I say, yes, we are going to be raptured one day. And it could be any day. It could be right now. And so we'll, we'll go with that. The Day of Atonement, the next fall feast, verse 26. <clears throat> and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the Day of Atonement, it shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. And on the ninth day of the month, at evening from evening to evening, <clears throat> you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Now, as I said, since Jesus fulfilled all of the spring feasts in his first coming, we can expect him to fill all the fall feasts in his second coming. Jesus once said of himself that no one knew the day or the hour of his coming, which if we're correct about that being an idiom for the Feast of Trumpets, could have been his way of letting the Jews know that his second coming is going to be on a Feast of Trumpets. That makes sense to me. If he comes on the Feast of Trumpets in the future, in his second coming, then the Day of Atonement would relate to his judging of the nations insofar as who will populate the Millennial Kingdom, which brings us to the final feast, Tabernacles, verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations." 
to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grained offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your freewill offerings which you give to the Lord. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. You shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so there, here in the Feast of Tabernacles, we see God tabernacling with men, uh, them living in booths, anticipating his coming. This sounds a lot like the millennial kingdom or the 1,000-year reign of Jesus on the earth, and here's one reason I believe that. Uh, do you remember the, what we call the transfiguration of Jesus? Jesus went up to the mount. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration because when he was up there, uh, the disciples who went with him, Peter, James, and John, they saw him transformed and transfigured into his glory. And it's the glory that he's going to have in the kingdom. And two guys appeared with them there who were Moses and Elijah. And while all this was going on and Peter was having his mind blown, when it ended, he said, Lord, I know what we should do. We should build three booths, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, because Peter thought, that they were now in the kingdom. He believed that the kingdom had come because he saw Jesus as the king and Moses and Elijah who had been promised to come. And he said, let's build tabernacles. Apparently, Jews believe that the Feast of Tabernacles prefigured that time when their kingdom would be on the earth. And so that's uh, what I think is happening. And so Feast of Trumpets, Jesus returns in his second coming, Day of Atonement. He deals with the nations. Uh, Feast of Tabernacles would prefigure his uh, reign over the earth. I like to see them consecutively. A lot of people say, no, no, the Feast of Trumpets, that's the rapture, and then Jesus comes back seven years later after the uh, tribulation and he fulfills the other two feasts. That's a possibility, I guess, uh, but I like the idea that it's going to happen consecutively once it starts. Just like the first coming, there's no delay. Jesus came. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. The Feast of Pentecost, it all happened in that same flow of time. I think the second coming will happen in that same flow as well. Once he comes during the Feast of Trumpets, it'll only be days before the uh, atonement and then the establishment of the kingdom. So uh, let me answer one question briefly right now as we close. Do we need to keep these feasts? So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. That's verse 44. And so the answer is no. The feasts are given to the nation of Israel. They're part of their law to be celebrated each year. They were not given to any other nation, nor were they given to the church. And we are those who are staunch in our understanding that the church is not Israel, and Israel is not the church. The church is Jews and Gentiles alike during this age, while God has uh, paused his prophetic work and uh, we are not under any of those laws uh, or demands that were made of the nation of Israel. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul said, But now that you have come to know God, 
or rather to be known by God, how is it you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. There's some other scriptures we'll get to as well uh, as proof text, but Paul the Apostle said, hey, we are not those who keep days and weeks and years on the calendar. We're not subject to the Sabbath, those kinds of things. If people want to do that, that's fine. If you want to worship on the Sabbath and go to a Passover Seder or you know, reenact the Feast of Tabernacles in your backyard with a palm branch, that's all fine. But we don't have to do those things. They're not incumbent on us. A lot of people try and put that back on you because the symbolism is so rich and it's so beautiful. Uh, they think, you know, we should be celebrating these things. But Paul the Apostle says they are weak, worthless, and elemental. And so don't return to them. So why are we studying them? Knowledge of them encourages our faith. I remember the first time I realized that when Jesus came, not only he was typified in the feasts, you know, that they were types of him, but he actually fulfilled them. He, he was sacrificed at the very hour that the lambs were being sacrificed, and he was put in the ground during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits, and the Holy Spirit came that Pentecost. I mean, it's amazing. And then I look forward to the future, and I think he's going to do that again with the fall feasts. And so that's an encouragement, and it's an excitement to know that, uh, and, and to see Jesus at work in that symbolism. Amen?